Hi, Pastor Chuck here, and I want to say thank you for listening with us today. Hope this message from God's Word encourages you, challenges you, inspires you, and reminds you of how much God loves you. Scripture this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we, which have believed, do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were furnished, were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter in to my rest. Seeing therefore remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limited, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For if he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So this morning, as we look at this passage in Hebrews, I was thinking about this passage because we're getting ready this weekend to celebrate Memorial Day. And I'll be honest, Memorial Day slipped up on me. I've been so busy the past few weeks. I knew it was coming. I knew it was getting close, um, but just didn't realize uh, it was here. And uh, uh, my boss was joking around with me on Thursday and uh, we had finished something up. He said, good job. Tell you what, I'll give you Monday off as a reward. It took me a second to realize what he was saying. So um, for a moment there, I was thinking, all right. But uh, so, yeah, um, it, it kind of slipped up on me. But Memorial Day, you know, here in the U.S., we celebrate that as a way of recognizing those who've given the, the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, those who have lost their lives defending our nation, defending our interests, defending our, our freedom. And we can, we can do that. A lot of people will celebrate Memorial Day in different ways. I mentioned before, maybe some are getting ready to do some grilling or, or go to the lake or uh, smoke some barbecue or um, you know, whatever your, your way of uh, celebrating is. And we do lots of different activities. And we're able to do that. We're able to take a day off from work, a day of rest, if you will, a day to relax, a day to sit back and reflect uh, because of what's been done before. We have that freedom and that ability to, to take this day and enjoy it uh, within reason because others before us have put in the work, have, have done the, the dangerous things, have, have fought the wars to give us that freedom. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about this passage of Scripture where it talks about us entering into a rest based on what Christ has done for us. And that's what this passage in, in Hebrews is talking about. And we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Um, a lot of people speculate that it might have been Paul because the writing is similar to Paul's. 
Uh, you may hear me refer to Paul today when I'm, I'm speaking of this, because sometimes my mind just kind of flips back to that. But we don't know who it is. Um, but the writer of Hebrews is clearly writing to a, a either a, a, a Jewish audience or to people who are very familiar with the Jewish faith and all of the, the rituals that they did and all the things that were made up, uh, the Old Testament covenant. And as the, the writer gets to chapter four here, he's writing to them and he says, let us therefore fear. Let us take caution. Let us uh, be concerned that we don't miss something here, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. He says, we've been given a promise of rest and we might miss it. We might not take advantage of it. We might not get to enjoy it. You know, there are some people who won't get to enjoy the holiday Monday. They may have to work. They may have a job where they can't, they don't get the day off and they have to, to go in and work. They, they still have the freedom that we get to enjoy. They still have the uh, the benefits of, of why we celebrate Memorial Day, the rest of us, but they're not able to enjoy it. And here you see the, the author is saying, we have been promised a rest. And if you're not careful, you might miss out on it. And he goes on to say in verse two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Here he's clarifying the fact that the gospel is for everyone. When, when the Bible talks about how Jesus came to die for our sins, how he came and lived the perfect life, and he died and took our sin upon him, the Bible says that he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He said, I came and I took your, your sin away and I gave you my righteousness. That, that gospel message is for everybody. There's no one that is excluded from that invitation. There is no one who can't come to Christ and say, I, I accept what you did on the cross as payment for my sins, and I put my trust in you. That message is for everyone. The writer's saying not everyone responds to that. Everyone hears it. Everyone has that chance. Everyone can, can hear it preached. But unless you take action on that, unless you bring it in and say, I'm, make, I'm making that, that promise mine. I'm making that apply to me. I'm accepting his offer of salvation. That's when it begins to profit us. That's when it's, it's useful to us. The gospel, without us acting on it, without us receiving it, without us saying, yes, I, I believe it, is just kind of words that are being heard and not acted on. He says that, that, that we have to have the gospel mixed with faith uh, of those that hear. It was, it was a combination of, of we heard uh, what Jesus promised. We heard God's offer to us of salvation, and we believed it. We accepted it, and we took action on that. That's, that's all our part is. All we have to do is believe. Uh, that's, that's the beauty of it. We see the New Testament uh, throughout the book of Acts as, as people are beginning to hear the gospel for the first time. Every time they talk to someone, they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So that, that's, all, that's all our part is, is trust and faith and belief and saying, yes, I receive that. And he's saying, we need to be careful that, that just as some people can hear that message and not receive it. Some people have grown up all their life knowing that Jesus died on a cross, knowing that, that Jesus was, was God's son. And yet they've never made that their belief. They've never put their faith and trust in Jesus. They've never said, yes, I need a Savior. And yes, Jesus, I want you to be that Savior for me. That's the difference in, in mixing that, that, that faith and that belief and that into the gospel and having it be profitable for us, having it make a difference in our life. That's when our lives really get changed, when we, when we put our faith and trust in, in what the Word says. It goes on in verse 3, it says, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now here he's talking, he's, he's hearkening back to the, uh, the time when the uh, children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and God had delivered them from bondage. 
That's similar to us when we put our, our faith and trust in, in Christ. He, he says he delivers us from, the, from slavery to sin. We're no longer a slave to sin. And uh, he brings us out of that. And he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he's, he's heading them towards the promised land where he's going to give them their own inheritance, their own place to stay, their own home to dwell in. And as they're headed that way, they have all this, uh, this turmoil. They have all these uh, complaints. They have all this uh, grumbling. And they keep turning away from God. And in, in fact, in some places, they even said, oh, well, we'd be better off if we just went back to Egypt. They even talked about wanting to go back to slavery as, as an option over living there in the wilderness. And we, we know the, the story there of how uh, God was, uh, was challenged by uh, you know, their unbelief and how it, it frustrated him. And Moses would intercede for him and say, you know, oh, God, uh, you know, you know, be, be patient with us. And, and, uh, and God was frustrated with them. Because he was, he was doing something in their lives and they weren't letting him do it. Do we do that sometimes? God's working in our life. He's, he's getting us somewhere special. And yet we're so frustrated with the journey, so frustrated with the, the in-between, the right now, that we, we, we resist him. We hold him back. And he says that, you know, uh, for they which have believed to enter into rest. If we'll just trust him, we'll get in. Remember when they got all the way to the, the promised land, they're on the edge of Canaan. They're, they're right there about to enter in. They, they've sent spies in to see what it's like. The spies come back and like, yes, this land is, is flowing with milk and honey. This land is, is everything God's promised it to be. And then what happened? Some of the spies said, yeah, but the people are really strong. In fact, there's giants in the land. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. Everybody kind of turned and said, you know, we can't do this. Well, why do we even bother? Why do we come all the way out here if we're not going to be able to do this? And their lack of faith, their lack of trust in God wouldn't allow them to enter in. What happened? Joshua and Caleb, they said, no, God's promised we can do this. We can take it. Yes, they're strong. Yes, everything they're saying is true, but God has promised this to us. Let's go take it. And they wouldn't do it. And we know the story that God said, okay, you're not going to enter into the promised land. And they wondered for 40 years as that generation that they couldn't trust God enough to go in died off. And then finally, uh, Joshua and Caleb who were the ones that said, yes, we can. They get to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua being the, uh, the successor there to, to Moses and uh, kind of leading them after Moses' death. And uh, this is what he's talking back to. The, they had a chance to go in and enter into this blessing that God had for them, this, this, this promised land where they could go and make a home. They wouldn't be wandering in the wilderness anymore. They wouldn't be living in tents and moving from place to place and all the things went along with that. They'd have a home, a place to, to settle down. But they couldn't trust God enough, even though the work was already done. God already promised it. He'd already set it in motion and said, this is going to happen. They couldn't trust him. So God said, okay, it'll happen later. It'll happen with another group. It'll happen with those, those that are, that are, that are uh, younger than you that will believe me. And so we know that, that story. That's what the, the writer here is referring back to. He says, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Now, the author has given several examples of rest, several examples of a Sabbath, if you will, uh, that, that idea of, of being able to stop and uh, to, to, to take a day to, 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 to cease from your working. And uh, so he starts with the very first one. So the very first Sabbath, the very first uh, Sabbath rest that was uh, given to us is right there in the creation story when God is creating man. And it says, in, and when he got to the end, it says on the seventh day, he rested from all of his works. Now, you think God was tired? God wasn't tired. He, he didn't rest because he was, oh, well, that took a lot out of me. I guess I need to, to take a day off or something. He rested because he was saying, this is complete. This is done. It's finished. 
I don't need to do anymore. It, it, it's it's, it's uh, final. That's why God rested. So he's, he's running. The God gave us that picture of a Sabbath. And, and when they then instituted the Sabbath as a part of the, uh, the, what God gave Moses for the children of Israel to follow, they were to take that Sabbath, similar to the way God did when he rested on the seventh day of creation. They were to rest. Uh, from uh, you know, from the evening of Friday to the evening of Saturday, that seventh day, uh, they were they had strict regulations about how far they could walk and the things they could do. They couldn't go out and tend their fields. They couldn't uh, you know do all the things that might be considered work. And uh, it got to the point where they they started kind of trying to make all the minute rules of okay, well, what's allowed and what's not allowed. Okay, you can walk this far, but you can't walk that far, uh, and different things like that. Started trying to define okay, well, what what you know constitutes honoring the Sabbath. And uh, but it was something God had told them. I want you to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, keep it set apart. And he was showing them something that was to come. And then he says in verse five, and in this place again, if they shall enter in to my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. He's not only the God rest on the, the Sabbath, on the seventh day when he was creating earth. And when he had finished, he stopped working. When he was through, he ceased from his working and, and rested and, and gave us that, that picture of the need to, to stop and to, to rest. And then he said, not only that, but when the children of Israel were, were coming here, he was giving them a home. He was giving them an a, a inheritance, a place they could settle in and, and take rest. And they would enter in. But to those that, that were told first, they didn't get to because they didn't have that belief. They didn't have that faith. They weren't trusting God. They were trusting themselves, what they saw with their eyes, what they what they felt was, was possible or not possible. You see, that's the, the distinction sometimes when we start going through life is we start looking at, okay, well, this is what I think needs to happen, or this is what I think can possibly happen. And as we've seen in the last uh, four month, four weeks, as we looked at that series of what God can do, when God does something, sometimes it's things we can't even imagine could happen. He doesn't just, he's not confined to the things we can see and the things that we can rationalize and the things that we can expect. He says, oh, I can do way more than that. I can do things you never even thought uh, to think of, uh, not much less think that they were possible. And that's what he's saying here. They, these people couldn't enter into that rest. They couldn't enter into that homeland that they were being given because of their unbelief. Verse 7 says, again, he limited a certain day. Saying in, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now here he's referencing Psalm 95. Um, and uh, we're told here, it's attributed to David. Uh, in, Psalm, in the book of Psalms, it doesn't tell us who wrote it, but uh, we know now from this that uh, it was David. It was commonly believed that as well in some of the ex uh, external writings uh, that the people would keep, that people believe, you know, knew it was from David uh, from that time. So the writer of Hebrews here is, is echoing that, that, that David wrote this. And uh, he, uh, he's referencing that psalm here. It's interesting because here he's saying, uh, you know, he's telling the story, and this happens way after the children of Israel entered into the promised land. You know, David, uh, he's the, the, the second king, if you will, of Israel. So we've already had uh, Joshua lead the children into the promised land. They've already had multiple battles to try to take the, the land that was given them and to try to expand their borders and, and give the allocation to the different tribes. Uh, they've already gone through the period of the judges uh, when they would uh, have uh, other nations come and attack them and they would drive them back out. And, and they've gone through all these different things. And finally, you know, that they've gone through this period 
uh, uh, with like Samuel and uh, where the uh, the prophets are kind of leading them and the, the judges will rise up. And then they say, we want a king. And so then, then God gave them Saul as the king. And then God removed Saul and gave them David. So this was way after they entered into this, this, this promised land, long after, long after they entered into Canaan. And uh, God gives David this psalm and says, you know, uh, he reminds them of what happened here. Let's read the psalm. Psalm 95, uh, verse 6. We're going to start in the middle because that's where he's, he's quoting verse 7 here. Uh, he says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now, this psalm starts with those same words, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. And uh, that's kind of the, the theme of this psalm. And here he says, let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. I want to start there. Doesn't that remind you of uh, some of our, our recent uh, sermon series that we have to remember God is the maker? He's the one that makes things happen. He's the one that can make anything happen. He says, let us kneel before him. He says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. That's what he's quoting there in that, that passage of Hebrews. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the days of temptation in the wilderness. See, like, like our forefathers did when they were about to enter the promised land, about to receive God's blessing, they said, I'm just not sure I believe that can happen. I'm just not sure God can do that. He says, don't, don't harden your heart like that. He says, when your, father, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. He said they'd already seen all the things God could do. He had fed them in the wilderness by bringing food from heaven and, and, and water from a rock at times when they needed it. They did work miracle after miracle on their behalf. And yet they couldn't trust him for that next step. Let's don't be like that. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of that sometimes. I've seen God work. I've seen him do amazing things that, that I look back and say that could only be God. And yet still when I'm facing something right in front of me, sometimes I go, I don't know if that can happen. And I start to, to waver in my faith, even though I've seen him do amazing things like the children of Israel did. He says, today, don't harden your heart. Don't, don't, don't go back to the way things were. Trust in what you've seen of who God is and what he can do. He says, they, they, te they tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is the people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. He said, these people don't really know me. See, these people had every chance to know who God was and what he could do and what he was capable of, but they had stayed kind of a distance away. They wanted Moses to be that intermediary, and you go talk to him for us. See, they didn't really want to know God personally. They were afraid of God. God is, is holy. God is just, God was scary to them. They said, you, you do that in between for us. They didn't know him. That's what he says. They, they erred in their heart because they didn't know his ways. They didn't really know who God was. It says, unto whom I swear in my wrath, they should not enter into my rest. That was what God told them. He said, you're not, you're not going to enter the promised land. And we know the story that they, they didn't. And then, uh, so, that, so that, was the, uh, that was the end of Psalm, that passage of Psalms, when he's, he's telling that story. And so that's what the, the writer here is, is saying, that you know, the, the, even after they entered into the promised land, God's reminding David of what happened then. And he's saying, today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So that's a challenge for today. That's always the challenge for today. When you wake up tomorrow, that's going to be the challenge for today then that day is to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to give everything back to you today. I know I trusted you yesterday and, and I'm going to trust you again today. Or maybe we have to say, well, God, I, I kind of pulled some things back yesterday. I, I wavered in my faith yesterday, but I'm going to trust you today. Today is the day to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to believe what God can do and what he's capable of. <clears throat> Verse eight, the writer of Hebrews says, for if Jesus had given them rest, then we do not afterwards have spoken of another day. Now, when it says Jesus there, it's talking about Joshua. 
the name Jesus and Joshua are the same name, uh, Yeshua. Um, and uh, so uh, the uh, the writer here is talking about Joshua, and he's kind of, I think, calling attention to the fact that Joshua and Jesus have the same name. You know, they mean Yahweh delivers. And, uh, uh, and uh, so Jesus having that same form of, of Joshua, Yeshua, um, and uh, so the translators here translate it as Jesus, but it's talking about Joshua because it's talking about the, the time in the wilderness there. For if Joshua had given them rest, uh, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? And uh, so he's reminding them that, you know, if, if what Joshua was leading them into in the promised land, if, if that was their rest, then God wouldn't have reminded them later that he's got a rest for them. But there was still something more to come. There was still another rest that they were waiting on. That this home he was giving them was a, a temporary rest. This home he was giving them was a, a place to settle down. But there was still a rest yet to come. And then the writer says in verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. See, the word rest here in verse 9 is a different word than all the other words you see translated as rest in this passage. That word rest in verse 9, in some translations, it's referred to as a Sabbath rest. And that's because it's the word uh, uh, sabbatismos. Uh, probably didn't say that quite right, but it's, a, it's a, a different word from the word that just means to rest. And some people may wonder if, if maybe this writer didn't even coin that word because it's not a, a word you find in other writings of that time. In fact, we don't see it again for a while, and, and then it's, it's used by people who are uh, you know, referring to this type of thing. Um, so they're kind of copying this. So they kind of wonder if maybe the, the writer didn't even invent this word as a way to emphasize that, that idea of a Sabbath, uh, which is where that word Sabbathismo comes from, the Sabbath, and uh, kind of making it into a, a, a form, a, a, an event, if you will. And it's kind of like saying, you know, there's a, there's a Sabbath rest. There's a Sabbath activity for us. There's a day of Sabbathing, if you want to put it that way. Um, and it's a day of celebrating God's work. And, uh, you know, the beauty of that is that we live in the Sabbath. You see, God finished his work. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, there was nothing more needed for our salvation at that point. When he walked out of that tomb, all that did was confirm that, yes, what I did there on the cross was finished, and I am who I said I am. I have power over the grave. I have power over everything, and, and it is all complete. He was starting something new when he walked out. It was over. It was finished. And just like when God had, had started with creation, he was making everything that we see, the, uh, the, the, the day and the night, uh, the light and the darkness, the, the, the sun and the moon and the stars, the earth, uh, everything that we see in it, when he's making all that stuff. And he got to the end, he said, it's good. It's finished. I'm done. And then he stopped on the seventh day and he rested. Not because he was tired, not because he needed a break, because he was, he was through. He was finished. Beautiful thing about our salvation is it's finished. When Jesus died for us, when, when he paid for our sins, that's it. I don't need to do anything more. I, I, I live in a Sabbath rest. I can, I can relax knowing that, that he is taking care of everything that needs to be done. Like uh, uh, J. Vernon McGee once said he was, he was playing uh, tennis, I believe it was, or some sport, with uh, a friend of his that uh, uh, was a believer. And uh, and they were talking about uh, you know different religious things, if you will. And the man asked me, he said, uh, do, you, do you do you celebrate a Sabbath? And uh, Jerry McGee said he thought about it for a second. I said, Yeah, I, I do. And the man said, Well, what day do you use for a Sabbath? And Jerry McGee says, Well, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I start all over again with Saturday. The man kind of looked at him, kind of uh, curiously, and he said. Every day is a Sabbath for me. 
Every day I live and rest knowing that God has finished his work, that he has done everything needed for me to have the righteousness of God inside of me, for me to be able to stand before God righteous and, and unashamed because of what he did. I don't need to continue working on it. I don't need to do anything more to, to make it happen. I just let him work. And that's the rest that we can enter into. That we have, Everything has been done for your forgiveness of your sins and to allow you to have a relationship with God. And yet sometimes we still work to try to earn God's favor, to try to get God's attention, to try to make God happy with us. And we do these things sometimes uh, you know, trying to, uh, to, to be better when God has done everything. Verse 10, he says, For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Are you doing a lot of things to try to get God to love you more? You don't need to. You can stop. You can rest. You, you, can, you can just relax in the fact that he's taking care of everything. Monday, when we, when we take that day off to celebrate Memorial Day, we can all relax. We can all enjoy it. We can all do these, these fun things that we might do because other people have already taken care of securing our freedom. Other people have already done the, the things necessary, even to the point of losing their life, that we can have this, this ability and freedom to do this type of thing. Same thing's true with your salvation. He's already done it. He's already given us everything we need for that. We can rest in that. We can stop trying to earn his favor. I heard a pastor talk one time about a lady in their church, and he said she was like the just the, the, the pillar in their church. Like if you needed someone to do something, she was always there. And um, you need someone to keep the nursery, she was on it. You needed someone to teach a Sunday school class, she was on it. You had somebody in the church that had a need, she was on it. And she was just always doing stuff. He says then at one point her uh, her son got sick. And she and her husband were, were focused on, on trying to take care of their son. And son ended up passing away. And he said he remembers this, this lady coming to him and saying, I don't know what God wants from me. I don't know what more he wants me to do. And he was talking about how so many times we, we look at things like that, like, well, God's happy with me or he's not happy with me. Or, you know, what can I do to make God like me more? Or what, you know, what do I need to do to please God? He says, Jesus has already done everything is needed to please God. God doesn't want anything more from us. Yes, he begins to work in our lives. Yes, he begins to change us and all that. But that's not a part of, of our salvation. That's not a part of gaining his favor. That's simply a reaction to what he's doing. First, we need to learn to rest. To say, you know what? I'm not good enough. You know what? I'm not capable. But he is. Look at a couple of verses here related to that. Matthew 11:28. 28. Here Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Feel like you're not enough? Feel like you're not good enough? Not a good enough Christian? Not doing all you should? Stop and rest. Jesus did it all. We don't have to be a good enough Christian. All we have to do is put our faith and trust in Him. Just come to me if you're, 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 you're burdened, you're weary, you're worn down. I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's a song by 10th Avenue North, uh, uh, a Christian group. I don't think they're together anymore, but uh, they were uh, had a lot of songs for a while. And this one song really stuck with me for a long time. It's, it's pretty old. I don't know exactly when it came out, but it stuck with me for a long time. It's called By Your Side. And the lyrics say something that's like, why are you driving these days? Why are you trying to earn grace? Why are you crying? Let me lift up your face. Just don't turn away. Why are you looking for love? Why are you still searching as if I'm not enough? To where will you go, child? To where will you run? To where will you run? 
Are we still trying to earn God's favor? We don't need to. He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross. He loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us before we ever even knew about His gift of salvation. There's nothing I can do to make Him love me more. And then the beautiful thing is there's nothing I can do to make Him love me less. He loves us, period. End of story. He loved us enough to die for us. We can't earn that with, with more things that we do. And that's what this rest is about. Saying, okay, I'm going to let God be enough. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 uh, Paul's writing there in the church of Colossians says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect of a holy day or of new moon or of a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come with the bodies of Christ. See, back then people were looking and saying, you know what? You say to be a Christian, but you're not doing this and you're not celebrating the Sabbath and you're eating these things that are not allowed by, uh, that weren't allowed by Judaism and you're not celebrating this particular holiday. And they had all these different things like you're not doing enough. You can't be a Christian. And Paul said, don't, don't let people judge you based on the, the things that you do. The, the services you attend or you don't attend, the, 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 the uh, ministries you're in or are not in. He says all those things, those, those have their place and those have their, their uh, you know, enjoyment at times, but those aren't about our relationship with God. We are in Christ, and that's all we need. Those things were just a shadow. Those things were just a, a, a reflection of what was going to happen, of how Jesus was going to come and be that sacrifice for our sins. And so he's telling them there, don't, don't get caught up in trying to do a bunch of things to, to, to look like a Christian. Romans 7, 18, Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, well, is no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He, Paul says, I know that deep down, like if, if my flesh is in control, I can do some really bad things. You know, I think a lot of times Satan beats up Christians because we know we're not that good. <laughs> he, he, he comes and he confronts with us. You're not a good person. Look at what you thought there. Look what you said there. Look what you did. And he beats us down. And Paul says, you know what? I know that in my flesh there, there's nothing good there. But I also know that the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of me. And when the Spirit takes control, when I let the Spirit take over, then he can do uh, what he needs to do. If you have Christ, you are enough. That's it. We need nothing more. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He says we've been given grace as a gift. We can't earn it. We can't make ourselves more worthy of it. We can't do any of that. And that's for a purpose, so that we can't boast. You know, so many times as a, as a minister, I get frustrated. I say, you know, God, I'm not, I'm not good enough to be in ministry. I shouldn't be in ministry. I have too many problems. I have too many falls. I have too many uh, things I need to deal with. I shouldn't be in ministry. And, and a lot of times I just feel like God's responding saying, you know what? That's true. But that's because when, when, when I use you, people know it's me. People know it's not you. And when I, when I have someone come up and say, you know, you were a real blessing to me or, or something of that nature, I can know that, you know what, that wasn't me. Because I, I know uh, what Paul was saying there, that I don't have anything really to offer. That I have nothing to boast about, but God says, I can use that. Went on in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. He says, when we finally realize I don't have anything to offer God, when I finally realize that, God, I'm not good enough, that, that, that I have so much I need to work on, I, I'm not good enough to, to, to do anything, he says, yeah, I know. That's why I'm going to use you, and people are going to see me in, in what I'm doing in your life. He does things through us. Not to make us more appealing to him, but to use us for his glory. That's what verse 10 is talking about uh, there in that uh, passage of Hebrews. That we aren't focused on our works, on the work that Christ has done and is doing in our life. 
That's why I said, for he that entered into this rest has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Notice what we focus on, on his, uh, that when we focus on his work, uh, what it produces in us. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And his instinct says, let us, let us work, let us strive to enter into that rest. Let us, let us do things to enter into that. He's saying the fact that we can rest, the fact that I don't have to do anything to earn God's favor doesn't mean I don't end up doing something. It just simply means that, that I can do things now out of a joy and a, and a love and a service to him and let him use my life. So that's, uh, that's what he's saying here, that, that we are going to work. We are going to do things. He's not saying that we should never do anything. We should never uh, have any activities that we're a part of. He'll say later in the passage of Hebrews that we, we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that we should be getting together with other believers and encouraging one another and studying the Scripture together. He's saying we've got things we're going to do as Christians, but we're not doing them out of a labor to say, okay, I need to make myself acceptable to God. We're doing them to say, you know what, I want to enter into this rest. God's done everything. I don't have to do anything more. I want to know more about this God. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to follow him more closely. I want to read his word. I want to, to be obedient when he speaks to me. I want to do all these things. Because if that, that, if that Jesus can do all that for me, I want to know what else he's got for me. I want to know what's next. And that's what he's saying, that, that we enter in, that we, we labor for that rest. We do things. We work because we can now rest. And he goes on verse 12 to point out the, the source of that. He says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He says, we can, we can focus on God's word. We can just pour into it and say, you know what? I want to know more about this God. That was a problem the children of Israel had back in, in the wilderness. They didn't know God. They didn't know him like, like they needed to know him. You want to you rest in God? Get into his word. You know, start studying it. Start getting hungry for it. Say, okay, I want to know more about this God. I don't have to worry about, am I doing the right things? Do I look like I'm being a Christian? Do I look very Christian-y? I don't have to worry about all that. I'm just going to get to know God and know him more through prayer, through reading his word, through being obedient to what he tells us to do. He says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You see, the difference in these things is motivation. You may be saying, Chuck, you said at the beginning not to work. Now you're saying we need to work to not work. What is it? Well, it, the difference is my motivation. If I'm doing things for God, you don't really know what, why I'm doing it. You don't know if I'm doing it just to look good, just to look Christian, just to look like a preacher. You don't know my motivation, but God does. If I'm doing all those things to try to look better, to try to look productive, to try to look like a Christian, then I'm doing them for no point. I'm wasting them. I, I'm burning myself out because I don't need to, to do that. I can rest in what he's already accomplished. But if I'm doing those things because I want to know him more, because I want to see him work in my life and see him use me and, and see him work uh, through me and, and for me, then that has meaning. That has joy. That has real life to it. And God knows the difference, even if we don't always know the difference. If you're doing good things to get God to love you more, you're wasting your time and effort. If you're working to know God more out of gratitude for what he's done in your life, then now you're entering into his rest. Let's go back to verse 9 for a second as we close. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Tomorrow as you enjoy Memorial Day, you take advantage of this holiday because we have the freedom, because someone else has already done the work to, to give us the freedom to be able to take this day off and actually do nothing or, or whatever you want to do. Now, you know what some of you are going to do? You're going to do things on, on Memorial Day that are probably more strenuous than you would do at work. <laughs> I know people go to the lake, they do all these different things, and it's work to get all this stuff set up. You go out there and you, you need a break from the holiday. 
because you, you do a lot of stuff. But yet we enjoy that, right? And yet we dread going back to the work, which may not even be as hard as what we did on our day off, uh, because it's work. That's the difference. Let's let's serve God. Let's let God work in our life. Let's let God give us things to do and, and the ways to serve him and do it because we want to know him more, not because we're trying to earn his favor. Because he's already done what was necessary. He already gave his life. He already bought our freedom when he died on the cross. And there remains a rest for the people of God. You know him as your Savior? If you do, that's all you need. You are now his. You belong to him. First John says, now we're called children of God. As you celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow, I hope you rest in the fact that God has done everything needed for your salvation. Everything needed to allow you to have a relationship with him and to be in his presence. 